This is a podcast by The Straits Times. If I'm in the middle of a discussion with somebody and I'm not understanding because I, because I'm I don't have all the cues, I'm missing some of the things they're saying, maybe I say something that comes across as offensive or harsh or aggressive. And the problem is also without the real-time interaction or maybe without the the full set of cues, it's hard for me to resolve that. And this is how these things can then devolve into um, uh, what feels like a toxic work environment. That was Associate Professor Mark Mortensen, who teaches organizational behavior at INSEAD University. For 20 years, Prof has been studying how workers collaborate and what companies can do to improve work team dynamics. Prof has written extensively about hybrid and remote work. One danger of long-term working away from the office, he says, is workplace toxicity. I'm not saying that all hybrid work is toxic. That's ridiculous. In the same way as all face-to-face work isn't toxic, but some is. The main thing we have to understand is there are some elements of working hybrid, so some of these missing cues, that can easily lead to situations that become toxic. And that's one of the things that we want to recognize so that we can recognize when those are happening and try to cut them off. Welcome to Work Talk. I am Chris Boo. This week, we're turning to one of the most common and difficult challenges facing workplaces after the pandemic. It is described in three simple words. Return to office. Those three words are enough to send shudders down some workers' spines, raise emotions, and sharpen conflicts between workers and their employers. We have seen some workers walk out on strike. Some have put up public letters telling bosses to get out of their way, stop telling them how to do their work, and just leave them to do their best work. Some high-profile senior executives have done a I disagree with the return to office command. I quit. So, if working away from the office runs the danger of festering workplace toxicity, I want to know more. I asked Prof if he has a real-life example. I was working with a manager uh, who had a team in which the team more or less by accident, there was a single policy of everybody gets to work from home, I think it was three days a week, uh, or sorry, in the office, three days a week at home too, and they let everybody choose which days, which was a very reasonable, very normal approach to doing this. What ended up happening was the people in the team, because of their own life situations, more or less self-selected into what became two very distinct groups. Um, one group that was had a certain schedule, one group that had another schedule. This was driven by things like children's school schedules that they were trying to, to hit. Uh, for some, it had to do with commuting, if they were coming, if they were moving in from a further distance. Um, what ended up happening was that group really fractured into, into these very distinct sort of social connections and social groups. They started spending more time in those social groups, which then reaffirmed the differences. And simple challenges that occur in every organization, in every team, conflict is normal, started to expand and started to blow up because they didn't have the opportunity to work across the groups. It created a very strong us versus them feeling and that really devolved and it led eventually to at least one team member leaving, uh, saying, you know, I can't do it. To give us the point of view from a human resources leader, I have invited Yoshi Kakimoto. Yoshi is the head of talent acquisition for Asia Pacific at British Publishing, Business Intelligence and Exhibitions Group Informa. I asked Yoshi how remote working has changed the way she works. It's not like I can just turn around and just say, hey, you know, I have this question, what do you think? Right now, it's 
going to ping someone, hi, are you free in five to 10 minutes? There is that need right now um, to get that sort of permission. It might take a while to build that trust and, you know, that understanding of each other. But if you have that, um, that thought process that, yes, you know, I think I just need to spend a little bit more time. It's not just turning around, you know, I'm, I just need to connect more than usual. Then I think that might actually be an effective way of, of getting things to work. Now, I want to turn to Mark Ng. Mark is the SEO and social content marketing lead for Job Street, a part of online employment group SIG. Incidentally, Mark is the reason we are calling Prof Mortison Prof, simply because having two marks on the show is just too confusing. So I think in SIG, we, we try to encourage coming to the office at least twice a week of which I also do that. and we, But we also try to encourage people to uh, work from anywhere. So we do have a policy where we allow our colleagues, co-workers to work anywhere in the world as long as you get the job done. It's about the relationship with manager as long as you communicate expectations. Uh, so you have about a month where you're allowed to work anywhere. You can work from Bangkok. You can work from New York. It sounds like my dream job. I asked Mark if more recruiters are advertising remote or hybrid work in their job postings. We actually noticed that there has been a lot more jobs in the market that have been advertising or at least putting in that they are hybrid or remote or work from home. But specifically, we saw the largest growth in job ads that actually use the word hybrid or remote. There was at least a comparison from 2020 to all the way to 2023, that there was been an increase of about 186%. But what's interesting is that we didn't see as much for remote. We did this research uh, survey called the Future of Recruitment uh, earlier this March, and we noticed that only 8% people want to work remotely, completely. 71% of Singaporeans actually want to work hybrid. And we have also the outliers, I would say them, they are the outliers as 21%. They want to work fully on-site. But we have to understand that a lot of these people that have to work fully on-site, it's also part of their jobs. I do agree with, with what Mark has mentioned as well, you know, where people still want to go back to the office. It's very much the same like in events. You know, I think it's very different when you have a face-to-face event versus when you have a digital event. You might actually not get that much um, actual sales, right? COVID has changed the way we work so much that it is not only young people such as Gen Z like Mark, who are below the age of 27, but workers at every level are expecting flexible work, says Yoshi. It's really not just the young ones. It's really not just Gen Zs. We have a full range of you know, um, individuals um, who are one, two years in their career, all the way up to the more senior workers. Actually, a lot of them are asking, do you do hybrid work? You know, how many days um, do I need to be in the office? I guess in, in talent acquisition at the moment in recruitment, it's a very, very common question. And organizations are coming around to it. They are slowly going to, okay, you know, we are building balanced work policies. We are looking into your IT equipment for you to work at home. You know, some of them even providing, you know, other equipments just to ensure that you have all you need to be effective working from home. I find that bosses who are calling workers back to the office have so far touted the benefits of collaboration, communication and office culture. But 
Why hasn't anyone brought up the downsides of hanging out with your colleagues too often? Surely, we have all come across colleagues who cannot stand each other. Surely, we all have wasted time on gossiping, having long lunches or running out for cheap booze at happy hours with one another. And surely, you must have heard of co-workers who end up having affairs with each other, maybe because they spend too much of their waking hours together. I asked Prof, why wouldn't the benefits of not having too much of one's colleagues justify working from home? But that's actually a very small, I would argue, portion of the, the interpersonal challenges we run into. Usually, maybe there's, it's, a, it's a style of work, it's a set of demands, it's a set of expectations, it's a, a way of thinking. And you say, look, this person's really kind of offensive. They, they're not valuing the work that I do. They think I'm not uh, contributing, this sort of thing. When we say, oh, but now you don't have to deal with it, you're not actually solving the problem. The problem is still there. You're just not seeing it. And for me, that's a dangerous recipe. It's like saying, look, the brakes on my car are a little bit iffy. Um, I'm not stopping all that fast. But if I just drive on the highway, I don't have to brake that much. So it'll be fine. Yeah, until you really have to. And then then all of a sudden you're going to realize you haven't been working on it. You haven't been fixing and tuning those brakes. And then you may have a more sort of catastrophic failure. And so I think we have to be careful about that balance. There is also a long-term impact on learning and trust, Prof says. Mark raised a really good point about saying, look, we let people work from anywhere as long as they deliver, which is great. But the challenge is making sure that everybody agrees on what that delivery is and that we're also thinking not just short-term, but long-term. It's really easy to say, oh, you know, we're measuring lines of code. How many lines did you produce? Done, easy. The only challenge is, I used to be an engineer. I was a computer scientist. I learned a ton from sitting next to the older computer science geek next to me, who, and I watched and said, whoa, that's great. Half of it, I didn't realize I was learning. And so the risk is we may be producing fine in the short-term, and then we may realize five years out or two years out or a year out, you know what? I haven't learned any of the stuff. And so my long-term productivity is flatlined or maybe has even started to drop relative to those people who are still getting the ongoing learning. My sense of trust in the rest of the team has dropped relative to those who are getting more face-to-face interaction to, 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 to build that, that trust and camaraderie. We have to have a balanced approach to thinking about it. That's my, that's my, my key point. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let us return to the conversation with Professor Mark Mortensen, an organizational behavior expert, talent acquisition head Yoshi Kakimoto, and content lead for an employment porter, Mark Ng. I asked Mark, who is a Gen Z? If he is convinced about all that bosses talk about young people needing to be in the office for mentorship. After all, are senior workers foisting our ideas of how learning must be on these digital natives who practically grew up learning from the internet? When you're learning and you really want to grow as a young professional, you look for all sorts of mentorship and information and you seek that out maybe in your workplace, maybe outside your workplace. But I learned that Sometimes sitting beside someone that's willing to walk you through step-by-step gives you a great amount of learning, especially if they're willing to mentor you. There's so much benefit in that as well. And it really depends on what everybody's learner persona is. What are they, how do they learn? 
and it really depends on the individual. So personally, I would still stay. What is the role of HR in this? I asked Yoshi. HR has actually become a bridge between employees and employers. Obviously, not everything that one party wants will be agreed by the other. You know, so I think we must have that fair balance. For example, um, you know, I have a working mom that you know just wants to come back to um, the workforce with a very very young kid. Yeah, um, she would prefer to have um, a balanced work, so probably like a fixed term part time job, for example, three times a week. You know, so that she can have two days just to take care of the kid. Yoshi thinks HR teams today are more willing to be flexible. So they can be starting at 7:30 a.m. and end at 4:30, so that they can send their kids to school and then pick them up after after childcare. You know, so that is something that you know I've been seeing over the last couple of years, which I think it's really good. It's really about just listening to both sides, and obviously then to think that for this particular role as a manager itself, for this particular role, can I actually accommodate to that? If I can't, why can't I? Yoshi hit the nail on the head, and and I think the core to this is having a conversation. Those conversations are sort of going past one another. What I was seeing in a lot of companies was sort of a wrestling match between, in effect, sort of three different views. One was we need to make these decisions based on productivity and output. One was about staffing: are we going to attract and retain the best talent? And then a third conversation that was around: Are we making these decisions in order to preserve the social fabric of the organization? Each of those may lead to very different choices when it comes to how you design the work and the policies and all of that. And we, at the very beginning, you need to at least have a conversation to make sure that we're aligned. And it has to be an ongoing conversation because the other thing we have to recognize is this is a dynamic process. And it has to be part of a, of a process that we say, look, it's going to continue changing. It's going to continue evolving. And we own that. So we, we, we put an expiration date. You know, milk has an expiration date. We should put one on our work policies to say, look, in six months, we're going to come back and revisit. Will we see an equilibrium around the corner? I think that anybody who says we're going all the way in one direction or the other, I don't, I don't think they're being realistic. So I think that we're going to find is a middle ground I think we'll we'll reach an equilibrium in terms of a little bit more stability. The pendulum will stop radically swinging back and forth, but it's still going to be there in the middle, and it's still going to move. And it's going to the pendulum will swing for individual people, maybe for individual smaller markets. What do HR managers need to do? The managers actually needs to be trained consistently. Things have changed of how we manage a team five years ago versus now. Having to communicate and showing, you know, and letting your team basically understand your expectations. Why do you need that individual in the office or not? I think that's something that um, needs to be discussed and considered on both ends. Um, and so, but having said that, um, you know, managers themselves have actually to change their mindset of things. If you're going to have more and more companies that are actually open to that idea, then they're going to be like, "Am I the odd one out? Should I actually maybe understand that and actually move towards that direction?" So, I would say that both ends. You know,、um, we just have to sort of just listen, yeah, listen and understand, then have that discussion. We're also going to see a market segmentation, and I think it's important to think a little bit macro about this to recognize that. There are going to be companies that cater to the 
all remote all the time crowd. They're going to be companies that cater more to the everyone back in the office. And that's okay. Because you know what? Everybody doesn't have to work everywhere. So it's, it's classic uh, sort of market dynamics and sociological uh, research on this is long and deep where you're going to start seeing sort of niche markets playing out, niche employers that are offering something different than what others are. And I think that's actually part of the role of what HR is going to be, needs to be thinking about is who are we and what's that pitch? I think we also, as HR, need to be thinking about more holistically what it is that binds people to companies, what it, you know, why they stay somewhere, why they, they hang around. Here's a question from Mark. How would a young professional look for actual mentorship or guidance or reach out to somebody that might not be their actual working direct supervisor, how do they grow as a young professional in a hybrid working environment? To me, it's just one word. Like, no, I mean, one sentence, just don't be shy. It won't hurt to just ping someone and say, hi, you know, um, I'm Mark, for example. You know, I'm Mark. I've just joined the company not long ago, but I would just like to understand a little bit more about this, that, this thing that you do. Do you have time? You know, I, I think that, most people would be very, very open to, to share and probably have that five, 10 minute coffee breaks. And that's how you can actually, um, you know, break that, I guess, just build that relationship one by one. I, I don't really have to add anything. Yoshi nailed it. Most people, most nice people, most basically human people are going to want to help and, and are going to be positive about that. I get this question all the time among my MBA students. They'll say, look, but why would this senior executive want to spend time? Why would they, you know, I feel, I feel like I'm taking from them and I have nothing I can give them. The one thing I would, I would encourage people, young people to remember is you do have something you can give. By the nature of an organization, the more somebody moves up, the less visibility they have on what life is actually like on the ground. That perspective is actually something that is extremely valuable. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have producing it. A big thank you to our guests, Prof, Yoshi, and Mark. I have learned so much from them. If you'd like to read more about the topic, we have links in the show notes. It's been a pleasure having your company on this episode 21 of Work Talk, a Straits Times podcast to help you think deeper, work smarter, and get ahead in your work life. I am Chris Bu. On behalf of our producers, Tio Tongkai, Mohamed Hadiou, Paxton Pang, and the rest of the production team supervised by Ernest Lewis. Thank you. Have a good work week. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.